Once again, East meets West when the Danielle Smith Show in Calgary joins the Scott Thompson Show in Hamilton. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I love doing these. It's great when we get two uh, parts of the country together and discuss all the all the things we have in common as opposed to uh, the differences. And, of course, the differences always come up. Danielle, great to have you here uh, again. Great to be joined doing this show together. I hope you're doing well. I am doing terrific. I must tell you, I have audience members who've been asking for this for weeks saying, can we talk to somebody in Eastern Canada so we can find out if they're as upset about the same things we are upset about? So I'm looking forward to finding some common ground, although I don't know if we will. Like, I think we have this impression that you uh, out East are just hunky-dory happy with the way things are going with this Trudeau Liberal government. The poll results seem to suggest that, so we're going to have a a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, and and I've told my audience I feel like a bit of a whipping boy here whenever I get on the phone with uh, Calgary because it's like I'm defending the whole uh, eastern side of the country here when in fact I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying out there Uh, so you know let's uh, first of all how how are you doing personally are you broadcasting from home or what's what's Calgary like right now well, I'd love to know how it is for you, too. So I've been broadcasting from home since about mid-March. My husband got back from a trip to Mexico uh, just two days after the quarantine requirements came in. Mm. So we were already in the process of moving out. So I've been I've been broadcasting from home since the, the middle of March. So it's been quite a long haul. And it's it's been fine. Here's the problem. When you first start developing the, the new systems at home, it's really awkward. Now that I've developed them, it's going to be hard to go back into the office. <laughs> What's yeah. your scenario? What are you I, doing? I, you know, exactly the same thing and it's funny how you talk to people from right the way across the country and everybody is going through the exact same thing especially with uh, the start of school and in September rolling around I'll give you a quick uh, update on what we're doing here and maybe you can tell us what they're doing there in regard to going back to school a lot of anxiety here uh, but again we've always had a very precarious situation between the teachers unions and the government of the day here uh, there was rotating strikes going on prior to uh, COVID-19 and and, you know, everything was was hunky-dory through this whole, you know, 20 weeks, say the first 20 weeks of all of this. Everybody, all levels of government getting on, uh, getting along and, and different political stripes getting along. Now the divisiveness has started with going back to school. It's either you're on this side or you're on that side, despite pretty much all the provinces right the way across the country having basically the same rules and, and procedures and protocol for going back to school. For us, mandated grade four and up have to wear masks, although the local boards here in Hamilton have uh, made it mandatory that and all local school boards are, are can certainly add to this and adjust their plans uh, whether it's stagnated starts or you know wearing masks here we're going to kindergarten right through to grade four and then uh, right through to grade 12 are going to be wearing masks so that's that's going to be uh, a difficult especially for the younger kids but a lot of anxiety a lot of uh, a lot of concern about heading back and I'm sure it's the I- same there. It is the same. I, I kind of wish that we'd followed the, the track that Quebec did, that Quebec ended up going back before summer, because now you've got a lot of parents, a lot of teachers who've worked themselves up into a, a state of worry over how, over how they're going to implement all these policies. And if they'd, if they'd gone back then, it may well be that we wouldn't even be having this discussion now. But, you know, I guess you can't repeat history. We're We're going pretty much through the same thing, although it was interesting. You didn't mention anything about 
online learning. We're doing something we're calling the it hub learning, which is differentiated from homeschooling. We, we have quite a large homeschooling community in Alberta that can charter essentially directly with the province and parents develop their own curriculum. And, and so we do have a large number of families who've done that historically, but they're enabling hub learning so that if you're not comfortable sending your kids to school, you can set up so that the teacher will have interaction with you at, at specific times during the week. Mm-hmm. certain number of hours depending on whether you're high school junior high or senior high and our largest school board in calgary calgary board of education just announced 21,000 students so about 16 percent of the student population is taking the government up on that proposal so that would be one thing also the government initially was going to do just a back to school as normal pushback from the teachers union so they came through with a mask policy it has to be grade four and up um, but the, the the local board also made the decision that they are going to require masks on all students, which is going to be a bit complicated, I think, trying to get those um, squirmy little kindergartners in grade ones to 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 keep the masks on throughout the day. I'm I'm predicting there's going to be a lot of lost masks in the first week because kids have a hard time keeping track of their lunch, let alone having a, keeping track of a couple of those masks. So that's the direction that we're going here and I, I imagine what will happen is that as we get into the school uh, year and as we start seeing whether there is localized infections then uh, then we'll adjust with it as we go along but I think it's it's the unknown that has everybody so concerned right now and it's amazing Danielle because it's exactly the same thing here uh, the kids uh, the parents and kids have a, uh, an option to opt out it's about the same percentage as what you're talking there who have decided to stay home uh, with high school they want 50% in class 50% online uh, we all made the transition during the the spring break to online learning it was inconsistent it was a mess mm-hmm. uh, many th- expected more from the teachers here that being said my son who's 13 was enrolled in some summer programs and we saw a great improvement over the oh, online uh, facility it was more like a zoom call kind of thing so it, it seems like they are catching up what are your thoughts on the prime minister throwing another two billion into this well, people are saying, how do how can he keep on spending money? We're not in parliamentary session. I think this goes back to the deal that Jagmeet Singh signed with the with the prime minister that as long as they were prepared to look at having mandatory sick days in every province, that they would essentially give them carte blanche to do whatever it is they want until the parliament returns on September the 23rd. This is why part of the reason why they're in such trouble over the sole source, source contracts is they, I think, took advantage of the of the latitude that was given to them by by the parliamentarians. And so people are saying, where's the money coming from? Another $2 billion. And it seems like there's no end in sight. And there's really no discussion of how do we get back into balanced budget? Who's going to pay for this? It just seems like they're printing money. And so we're still a little bit confused about about what the what the end game on all of this looks like, because it's certainly a lot. E- it's, a, it's very easy to announce new programs and get the accolades for it. But somebody's got to pay for it eventually. What's uh, what's the take out there? Many are asking here why now, because but again, by the time this money gets through uh, the system and such, uh, the beginning of school is long gone. So many are questioning the timing of all of this, especially with uh, the new conservative leader being uh, uh, elected and such, and the government being prorogued. Which will take us to our next segment, and we'll talk about uh, the new conservative leader of the uh, of the federal party coming up, Aaron O'Toole. Moments from now, I am Scott Thompson. We are at Global News Radio 900 CHML in Hamilton. Joining us, Danielle. Smith, Global News Radio 770 CHQR in Calgary. It's another East West show. We're coming back. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are speaking with Scott Thompson, who is the host of 900 CHML in Hamilton. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you about this next segment because I need you to clarify a few things for me first, Scott, because I Uh-oh. think in the last election, everybody wanted to keep a distance from Doug Ford because he was seen as radioactive and he wouldn't help the National Conservative Party. So they wanted to keep him out of the campaign. Now he somehow resurrected his image. People seem to love him. But now he doesn't want to be involved in the federal conservative campaign because he's got this love affair going on with Christopher Freeland. Now I think people are thinking, wait a minute, because he's got such a great relationship with the liberals, is that going to cost the conservatives the election? So you have to explain to me this transformation that we've seen in Doug Ford over these last few months. What what is what has happened there? I don't know. I think it's something in the rainwater. I'm not quite sure. No, uh, you're absolutely right, Danielle. And and you know, let me let me start with the endorsement of of Aaron o- o- O'Toole because again, I was a little disappointed when the media picked up on this. And in some of the angles, as if, you know, uh, Premier Doug Ford refuses to endorse Aaron O'Toole. Bah, 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 and, and, and I don't think that was the tone of the conversation at all. He was asked during a press conference if he would be supporting uh, uh, the conservative leader. And he said, no, he's not getting involved in federal politics, similar to the last election. And uh, again, you're absolutely right. Uh, he has gone uh, through a, a major uh, transition here and uh, and you're right people do uh, certainly look at him differently now and why and how has that happened it has just simply been the compassion that he has shown through COVID-19 uh, what we've seen instead of this blustery guy who some say was like a bull in a china shop uh, we're now seeing a guy who's you know the softer side of him the real side of him uh, some say uh, of just the average working guy who's who's built uh, you know a business with his family and and trying to take care of the people I, I think we've seen a different side of Doug Ford other than has been painted uh, by the media and let's be honest too he has toned down he has learned uh, you know that that sticking a stick in a beehive isn't a good thing to do he's learned a, a more diplomatic way to play things so yeah uh, he, he certainly has changed his tone his popularity certainly has gone up uh, and, and and one of the ways he's done that is by working with all levels of government whether it's uh, provincial mayors, uh, mayors of the province, rather, or or the federal government, he's he's broken those party lines down, which I think a lot of people want to see during a crisis, during a, a pandemic. They want to see their politicians work together, and that's worked very well for him. I think him uh, not getting involved in the federal election has nothing to do with uh, you know uh, sucking up to the federal liberals or any of that stuff. I think it's just his game now is Ontario politics. He's gotten really really good at it. I think that's what he wants wants to concentrate on and I honestly think it's the media making more about this who's gonna you know who wants Doug Ford support who doesn't and the whole sheer thing and uh, again I think he's just concentrating on on his own his own job right now hello uh we seem to have lost the feed with Calgary I don't know what it is I think maybe what you said just kind of fritz my electronics maybe 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 that's what's happened is that Talking about the, the, the dangers of, of another Trudeau government might be just too much. It overloads I, the lines here. <laughs> I, I think that's what it is, man. Like, you guys just get so cranky about this. You just get so hot that all of a sudden, boom, the communications are gone. Someone cut these guys off. we got to stop them right away. But I'm glad you're back. I am, too. So, so let me just give you my take as well on, on the new leader, Aaron O'Toole. Like, I, I quite like Aaron O'Toole. 
Um, and I'm really interested in knowing if he can get that breakthrough in Ontario, because that was what he always talked about, is his ability to win seats in Ontario. And uh, because he's from that, kind of, he understands that kind of 905 corridor that we keep hearing so much about. And so I thought that was a compelling argument that he was making. But that being said, um, the, he ran such a negative campaign. And I, I wondered if that was going to create a lot of division in the party. I think he ha- took a, a far more statesmanlike tone when he did his opening press conference after winning, and he seems to be quite a uniter. So he's a good speaker, he's got a great background, he's got the military, he's reaching out to a lot of different groups, like uh, the teachers, he talked about his, his union background with his dad, 30 years at GM. Um, he seems to be developing some facility in French. I don't know that it's perfect yet, but you know what? Uh, the more he uses it, the better he'll get. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good about him. I'm feeling pretty optimistic. But if um, it all sort of hinges on him being able to win more seats in Ontario, do you think he can do that? Uh, yeah, I can. I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of what you were speaking earlier is inside politics. I think, you know, the battles that were going on within the Conservatives, and we're hearing that here in the East, that, you know, he's got, he, he, he now owns the Social Conservatives, all of this, which is why he came out initially right uh, at the beginning of his speech the other day and said, I, I'm pro-choice, so let's put that to bed right now. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, I think a guy who's uh, more relatable to the middle class, more identifies with the middle class, uh, doesn't come with the brand. You know, hello, my name is Aaron O'Toole, introducing himself the other day. Uh, because, again, he's known in inner circles, but not necessarily to the wider public. However, I think he will be a, a good contrast to uh, the prime minister because he's just a different type of person. He's more of a middle class type of person. Well, and the big thing will be, can he win in Quebec? Because without Quebec, it seems like that also is influential on how Ontario's choose to vote. Now, I'm, I'm going to be interested. When we get back, we'll have to talk about how the we charity scandal debacle, I'm not even sure how you're referring to it, how that's playing in Ontario, because we are just seeing red out here. We're furious that it seems like misstep after misstep he doesn't ever seem to get held accountable for it maybe you can just give me before we go into a quick break maybe you can tell me what your initial thoughts are on that are are ontarians angry about it they are absolutely very angry about it and also angry that uh, the prorogation of government has canceled the committees looking into this including the committee looking into canada china relations so yeah absolutely we are and and hopefully we'll continue where we left off after september 23rd when the throne uh, speech is read all right, so let's uh, get some calls lined up. 403-974-8255. If you're calling from Calgary, 905-645-3221. If you're calling in the Hamilton area, I'm Danielle Smith with 770-CHQR. In Calgary, we're having this East meets West conversation. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Global News Radio 900 CHML in Hamilton. I'm Scott Thompson, joined by Danielle Smith. Global News Radio 770 CHQR in Calgary. It's another East Meets West show. And uh, Danielle Smith is with us. Uh, technical difficulties because, you know, we're... <laughs> We're trying to do this across the country uh, from our own home studios. Uh, but you know what? An A for effort. What the heck? Uh, Danielle, uh, I hope you're there. hope uh, everything is doing well. Uh, let's talk. I know you want to talk about the we scandal and, and how it is generating uh, attention in the East. I can tell you here that uh, everybody uh, was, was upset when the government, pro-rogue government, in order to uh, cancel uh, these committees, including on the we scandal, on the China 
uh, Canada Relations Committee as well, which was touching on the two Michaels, the, that committee out the window as well. I, I think what the Prime Minister is hoping here uh, is that uh, obviously uh, the opposition gets, uh, gets tripped up into an election here early on his terms, uh, whereas if the opposition uh, continues to ask questions, these committees will, will reform after September 23rd, and more of the information on the WE scandal will come out, and I, I think that's what we're all hoping for. Well, I guess the question is, who is to blame? That is where I think we're still trying to figure this out. I think Pierre Polyas and also Charlie Angus with the NDP have done a tremendous job yeah. of holding the, the, the feet to the fire of all of the different players. And we keep getting all of these different stories coming out. And so Bill Morneau clearly had to resign. I know that he's trying to frame it, that he was looking for a better job at the OECD. But who leaves the job of finance minister in the middle of a major crisis like this with $350 billion in the mix to go off to, to Europe? So it's quite clear that that was just an excuse because he's right in the middle of it. I think the, 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 the death knell for him was that he didn't let the government know until an hour before he did his committee hearing that he owed them $41,000 for one of the luxury trips that they took him on for their volunteerism effort. So I, I don't know that he was able... To, to withstand that, especially since we started seeing all the behind-the-scenes lobbying that took place. What I'm still unclear on, though, is who, how, how much role did the Prime Minister's office have in directing it? Prime Minister Trudeau says, oh, I didn't know about it till after the fact, but then there's all these advisors and policy guys who are having all these conversations with we all the way up to it before the program was announced, giving somebody gave the okay for them to start spending money. And until we find out who that is, I think we have to reserve judgment on whether the right guy ended up getting fired. I mean, how much do you think your audience thinks that it goes right to the prime minister's office? Uh, of course it does. I mean, a couple of weeks before uh, the finance minister resigned, everybody was talking about whether he was going to step down, and and this was all in regard to the Wee scandal. It was all all information and what he knew, and as you mentioned, the trip and such. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, a week or so later, it's uh, a change in policy. Uh, the two aren't getting along. There's tension because uh, the finance minister doesn't necessarily agree with all the money that's flying out of the door, and more importantly, he doesn't necessarily agree with the the green uh, the green plan that's going to come in and supposedly be the recovery. So, in the in the in the span of a week, uh, the discussion went from what's going on at we to all of a sudden there's a big disagreement and we don't see the future is the same, and that's why he's resigning. So, again, how can you have the finance minister resign and not the prime minister resign? Well, you make it look like it's a different problem, and that's exactly what they've done here. Because, again, the week before, they were talking about uh, we, and then all of a sudden, no, no, it's a difference in policy, and they don't see eye to eye on, on how to recover. So, uh, I, I, of course, this goes right to the prime minister's office. His family is directly involved in all of this. And, and I think another key to this, way back when, when these committees were still sitting, when the clerk of the Privy Council was questioned about, doesn't this, didn't this red or raise a red flag about a, a conflict of interest? And basically, his comment was, well, everybody knows the Trudeaus are involved in this charity. And I'm thinking, holy smokes, that just, you know, that just uh, explains the the eliteness and the entitlement that, that, that's going on with this family and with this government. And again, you know, I, I think this is a person who grew up in the prime minister's office, uh, surrounded by a father who 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 was a lot more academic than than certainly Justin is. And whether you liked his politics or not, uh, was certainly uh, more respected. So, uh, you know, again, at the end of the day, 
<laughs> if, if if there's smoke, there's fire, and and I don't think you're gonna. I don't think the Canadian public is is going to be uh, is going to be confused about any of this, especially I, if these committees continue. You know, I hope you're right. You have to remind me of what the makeup is of the MPs in your area. It's mo- it's mostly NDP, isn't it? Uh, in the Hamilton area, but again, there's uh, uh, there's also the MP in Glanborough, uh, Flambrook, uh, David Sweet, who is conservative. So, uh, you know, traditionally, yeah, in, in the Hamilton area, it is a, an NDP, and they do have a tendency to vote NDP, although there is liberal there. And as I mentioned with David Sweet, there is conservative representation in there. And, and so, I, know, think I think the that's old... what happens in, is out west, when we get angry, we vote conservative. Out east, when you yeah. get angry, you vote NDP. And maybe that's part of why... You you're seeing some hearing some of the same things that we are but the question will be is are the liberals going to remain strong in the traditional areas that they've remained strong it almost seems like in some regions in atlanta canada quebec ontario people are genetically predisposed to vote liberal i wouldn't even consider voting any other way regardless of the scandals mm. regardless of the controversies regardless of the ethics lapses but are you getting a, a sense that, that that there might be a, a change of heart this time uh, again, this is going to be. Th- this is going to depend on how Aaron O'Toole plays uh, the cards in the next in the next couple of months. Again, as you pointed out, from the Durham region, uh, east end of uh, east side of, of Toronto, Hamilton more towards uh, the west side of the city. But again, very much manufacturing center and such, uh, average middle class uh, area. And I think that is going to resonate with people, I, I, uh, especially those in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, many have lost manufacturing jobs and such. And, you know, I think over time, even though the prime minister uh, promised more unity, I think we've seen more divisiveness. I think he sort of whittled out who his friends are and who he's going to uh, get support from and the rest he's he's ignored. So, uh, again, the one thing that Trudeau does is he just keeps doling out money. And and in some cases that works for him. Uh, But again, uh, as far as the image and the brand and all that sort of thing, uh, it'll be interesting to see how Aaron O'Toole does and if he can capture uh, the minds of the middle class here. You know, I should tell you the conversation we were having just before you and I joined was whether we now have a fundamentally unstable union with especially this new Green Deal coming down as part and parcel of uh, the, the new finance minister's plan for, for rebuilding Canada. There's You keep on hearing Joe Biden say build back better. Uh, Christopher Freeland's talking about build back better. It seems like that is kind of what the progressive terminology is for a forward uh, a, 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 a step forward in building the economy that doesn't include fossil fuels. Now you can imagine <laughs> that's not going yeah. over particularly well in Alberta. I don't. I, I imagine it would have a big impact in Hamilton as well because you've got a large industrial base there too. And I, I just wonder if we continue down this path where we can't get together on um, an alignment on how to develop our natural resources, that I think you're going to see an increase in Wexit talk coming from Alberta. I know no one likes to talk about that, but uh, we, we get calls happening every single day from people saying, Can, is this, does the East care enough to keep us in a union and keep our economy strong, or are we going to have to go our own way? And again, I think Aaron O'Toole addressed that in his uh, initial speech when he was talking about alienation in the West and getting natural resources to market. So again, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Danielle Smith at 770 CHQR in Calgary and Scott Thompson, 900 CHML in 
Hamilton. We're doing East meets West. I know you guys love it. And I know some of you are frustrated saying, well, why the heck then do the liberals keep on polling as if they're going to get a majority? What I'm hearing Scott say is don't blame us. It's not the folks in Hamilton and region that are getting them back in there. It's uh, the rest of the country that we got to worry about. Now, I know we, we have some calls. Uh, let me let me plug the number so that you guys can call in. We'll get our Calgary audience starting us off. 403 403- Nine seven four eight two five five. You can also call nine zero five six four five three three two one. And let's uh, go with Jim and Adam, and then we'll see if we get some other calls lined up. Jim, go ahead. What's on your mind today? Thanks for taking my call. So I guess what it is here is I'd like to ask uh, your your Scott? co-host there. When we listen to this stuff, now I think if if if, if O'Toole's going to play the we scandal, I think we're going to run into the same problem that we had with SNC-Lavalin. I think by the time this thing is done, there's going to be so much else. There's got, we've got hurricanes in the Gulf. We're going to have all of this stuff, that that stuff's going to be whitewashed. And if we think that the we scandal is going to save the Conservative Party, I think we're, going, we're barking up the wrong tree. And I, my second part, if you don't mind me asking, is do you really think that if he starts playing the unity card in the sense that he's going to start putting Alberta oil into certain areas, maybe east-west pipeline. Do you really think that, that once that once that card is played, I think Ontario and Quebec will be turned off and we will have another Trudeau government? That's my thoughts. All right, Scott, that's over to you. What do you think? I mean, if you spend too much time focusing on the scandals uh, with the passage of time, it may become less important. But I, I'm also curious to know what you think about, about Jim's point, that defending Alberta almost necessarily ends up alienating the, the east. Um, you know, as far as the we scandal, um, you know, I don't think that's will solely bring uh, the government down by any means. And, and as your caller has suggested, there's been scandal after scandal. And, you know, it, most of these wounds are self-inflicted. So, uh, you know, I don't think that uh, the conservatives will rely on the we scandal to. Uh, to, con- to continue to, to generate the dirt and get them, uh, you know, into, uh, into Ottawa. I, I don't see that happening because there's been so many of these in, in the past. However, that being said, uh, the, we still have lots of questions that need to be answered. So for that reason, this has to continue. I think this will depend on Aaron O'Toole and his ability to unite the party and, and, bring, ev- and bring everybody together. Uh, again, getting back to the caller's point, uh, during his initial uh, conversation he didn't come right out and spell you know i'm going to save the oil industry he said i'm going to hopefully stop the alienation of western provinces and try to get the resources to market uh, Mm -hmm. which is something that the prime minister said way back when when he initially got elected so um uh, i don't think that defending uh, the West is going to alienate them. I, I, I don't think that uh, just because you're defending the West, it's not going to play uh, in Ontario. I, I don't think we've come that far. I, I think the, the the discourse that that goes on between the East and West is uh, much more volatile in the West than it is in the East. Uh, I, I think the West hates the East more than the East hates the West, per se. What? That is not um, true. Yeah, I, I remember when I lived in Calgary, it's like, what does everybody hate us for? What did we do? You know, But then, of course, you learn the what the concerns are. But, you know, I don't think the we scandal is going to make or break this. I think it's just another log in the fire. 
You know what I think it is? I think it's that um, perhaps we we both maybe we need to look for the common ground because I think the issue may be more about Quebec. And I'll have to maybe talk to someone from Quebec to find out whether if we reignite a discussion about the Energy East pipeline, for instance, if that is is going to face a lot of pushback. Maybe it wouldn't face a lot of pushback in Ontario. Maybe we actually have more things in common in Ontario than we do with Quebec. And maybe that's where the big conversation is and the big divide in the country is. Your thoughts? You know what? You, you bring up a very valid point. And, and you know, we've had this discussion many times on the show, what life will be like post-COVID-19. When's it going to get back to normal? Well, there is no normal. It's a new normal. It will never go back to being the same again. But I think with this being, and, and it's it's across the country and it's across the world, this being the first crisis of a privileged generation, I think it has changed our view. I don't think we have time for the, quote, fashionable politics of the past because we can afford to do it. We have the time to mm. do it. Now people are con- people have made life smaller. They're concentrating on what's important, family, health, uh, making sure that you've got a place to work. You've got a roof over your head. Your kids are being educated. I think our, our, our attitude has changed, not only in Canada, but around the world. And I think people are frustrated with the fashionable politics that that we're seeing out of out, out of Ottawa right now. And and I think that's the advantage for Aaron O'Toole. Well, that's a, it's a great point, because if you can talk about those pocketbook issues, getting people back to work so they can take care of their families and themselves, then, then that might be the thing that unites us all. I've got some more calls here. Do you have anyone on the line up there or should we go no, to but I Adam did get an interesting. I did get an interesting email from someone getting back to the Ford issue when you talked about yeah, how yeah. Premier Ford has changed. And I thought this was an interesting comment from a listener. Kevin writes, Ford has not changed. He believes people have changed. And that goes back to my point about a post-COVID-19 world. I don't think people have the patience for fashionable politics. Isn't that interesting? So his brand of conservatism is maybe more sellable today than it, than it might have been when he was going through his controversy six or eight months ago. I don't even think it's his brand of conservatism. I think it's just getting through the personality. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's what we're looking at. I mean, we're now just getting down to the politics. We're just now getting down to what this person is all about. Before, it's, oh, we don't like this, we don't like that. And that's why we're seeing the the problems with the teachers unions here is because, you know, prior to this, there was a strike and they were at odds with this government. And although they fight with NDP, liberal or conservative governments, they certainly have it out for more for this one. So it just fits the brand. Yeah, and now people who just want their kids to get back to school yeah. so they can see their friends. Okay, let's uh, get Adam on the line. Adam, go ahead. What's your thought today? Hey, Danielle. I have two quick points. My first is um, when you look at, we do blame Ontario out here too much and Quebec. When you look at the electoral map, it's the Atlantic provinces that have way more seats than they have people and are absolute economic losers. And and yet PEI has four seats. That's insane. That's insane for their population. Um, my and second your second point, point Adam? My second point, I was born in Ontario. Um, my parents moved to Alberta when we were, well, I was 14 years old, thank God. And <laughs> so now I go back to Ontario, and I was back last year, and it was right after all the SNC stuff had happened. They don't care. They just don't care. They're, they're beaten. Like, it, it was like they're, like, any, any idea anybody has to make things better, it's like, oh, that won't work. Like, that won't work. They're not a try-hard people like we are here. They're beholden to unions. They want their pension. They're not builders like we are. And they're fundamentally different. They um, do not care at all. 
so so that comes from a, a transplanted Ontarian. So maybe that's what it is, is that if those who have made the decision to leave Ontario, maybe they are a little bit uh, more hostile to their to their homeland. I, I heard Adam say, let's all dogpile on Atlantic Canada. Since Atlantic Canada isn't here to defend themselves, maybe we won't do that. But I, I guess the way I look at it is Ontario really has been carrying the country for the last five years because Alberta has had it really rough. And I, I might see it a little bit differently. And I'm wondering if optimism has been shattered the way Adam describes, or if if people feel like, yeah, we, we got this, we can get this back. Have things started to change there? Uh, you know, uh, it's funny. With, with what Adam has said, there's a, a, another great example of why we need to unite this country. And I, I think it's more divisive now than it was uh, even just a few years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think, and I hear this a lot, and, and I remember when I lived out there hearing this, that, um, you know, Ontario just doesn't care. They just, uh, you know, they don't want this, they don't want that. And, and, and I really, and if I could convey this, any message to the West, it's that's not the case. Uh, Ontario is a very diverse province. It's a very uh, metropolitan province, certainly in southern Ontario. Uh, it, it's very, very busy. It is a very, very fast pace of life, and people get caught up in their own worlds, much like a New York City type of thing. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say Ontarians uh, don't care about the West or the East or, or that matter, because they do. They care about the country, and, and all Ontarians do. Um, but unfortunately, there's this divisiveness, and there hasn't been the communication between East and West or or, or north and south, or what have you. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't think this prime minister has done enough to unite the country. In the search for his special interest votes, he has, in fact, divided the country. So, yeah. uh, again, Adam's call to me just, again, uh, underscores the need for unity. And, and as you said, Danielle, look at the things we have in common, not our differences. And I hope we can find a few of those. I know I've got uh, Daryl. We might be able to have time for just one more call squeezed in. Daryl, go ahead. What's on your mind today? Hey, guys. I was just wondering if you've talked about the fact that our economy is actually quite a bit shakier than people are thinking. Like, most of the prime pipe and pipe mills in Canada are shut down, and they're saying some of the ones in Alberta aren't going to come back. Like, it's permanently gone. It's a good point, Daryl. I mean, the, uh, the, we, we talk about the small businesses that might be permanently gone as a result of COVID. I mean, uh, you probably saw the Canadian Chamber today saying as mm-hmm. many as 60% of, of restaurants might might be under yeah. within the next three months. But that goes, what, what Daryl was talking about goes to a pretty fundamental part of our economy that, that just might not be coming back. Are you seeing the same thing in Ontario? Absolutely. And, you know, COVID-19, the pandemic has just accelerated all of that. Any of the loose fruit that was uh, close to falling has now hit the ground. And, and you know, I, I think that will be the case for uh, industry right the way across the country. There is some that will not come back. And unfortunately, when we go through tough economic times, whether it's due to a recession or a pandemic or all of the above, uh, you're going to see that sort of thing. Uh, you know, whether it's in the hospitality industry, whether it's in uh, natural resources or, or, or manufacturing. Uh, again, I, I can't stress enough on this call that what's really important here is that we have to understand we're all Canadians, we're all the same. There isn't that much difference between East and West. And all you have to do is jump in your motorhome and go from one side to the other to realize that. Um, and, and here's hoping that the governments of the day can can have the sorts of conversations that we're having here today.
Well, heck, you know, if, if Doug Ford and Christopher Olympi can become besties, then maybe there's some hope for politicians that they will be un- unifying as opposed to a divisive. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. It always is. I love hearing your perspective. Uh, I'm Danielle Smith, 770 CHQR in Calgary, and Scott Thompson, 900 CHML in Hamilton. We've been doing Eats, uh, East Meets West, and hopefully we'll be able to do this again. Thank you, Danielle. It's been a pleasure, and uh, thanks to everybody in Calgary, too, and best, wish- uh, best wishes from the hammer. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.